0: Well, turn with me to, to Jude, to the book of Jude. Hopefully, you're already already there or close to there. And let me just say a couple words about the book of Jude as we set it up and and read together this morning. Uh, Jude is a a book in which Jude war, warns his readers about false teachers. He says these false teachers represent a danger. They're dangerous to the clarity of the gospel, and they represent a danger. To the unity of the church, these these false teachers do, and so he warns his readers about them. And another thing that I want you to notice: we're looking at verses twenty and twenty-one this morning. But as you as you look at these verses with me, I want you to notice the the Trinity. You know, the, this morning we've sung several songs that you could not sing if you did not believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our our faith. Is not just a faith in some vague deity; it's a faith in the Triune God. And as we look at these verses, we see the Triune God at work. And as we look at these verses, there's there's one more thing I want you to notice. And I, 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 this is kind of a hard thing to communicate clearly. So hopefully, if I kind of set it up for you now, and then we read the text, and then we talk about it more later, you'll you'll understand what I'm saying. In these two verses. There's, there's one main command, one verb that's, that's imperative, one instruction, and it occurs in verse 21. It's keep yourselves in the love of God. Okay, that's, that's the main thing. That's the main command. Hold on just, just a second here. That's, that's the main command. Now, there are three other verbs in these two Verses that are that are participles. They they kind of explain what's meant. So if you if you look at the text, you'll see you're to be um, you're to be building, you're to be praying, you're to be waiting. Okay, but all those things, all those verbs are are kind of describing how you fulfill that main command. So the main command: keep yourselves in love of God, and then three instructions to how to do that. You're, you're building yourselves up, you're praying to the Holy Spirit, you're waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully that comes through clearly as we walk through this passage together, but I want, as, we, as we read it, I want you to see, okay, the, the triune God is at work here, and there's one instruction, and in three ways we fulfill that instruction. So that's, that's a little bit about Jude, a warning against these false teachers as we come to, to this passage. Jude has just warned his readers about the, the characteristics of these false teachers. In verse 16, he says they're grumblers, they're malcontents, they follow their own desires, their own sinful desires. They're loudmouth, boasters, they sh- they're showing favoritism to gain advantage. And then we come to verse 17, and if you'd stand with me in honor of God, if, if you're able to, if you'd stand with me as we read. We're looking at verses 20 and 21, but I'm going to start back in verse 17. And so for his, his, the first time... Jew turns his attention more to the readers and how they're to respond. So he's described the false teachers, and now he begins to talk about their response. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid, of the Spirit. Then we come to verse 20 that we're looking at this morning. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then verse 22, And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to be united in our worship of the triune God. You'd help us to be kept in your love by your sustaining power and by the Spirit working through us as we do the things you've called us to do to walk in obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. appreciate uh, Scott Burkle a great deal. I, I first met Scott maybe almost 20 years ago. Uh, Scott Burkle, if you don't already know this, he's Rich Burkle's brother, and Rich Burkle is a senior pastor at Bethany Baptist Church where I worked as the youth pastor. And so Rich actually introduced me to Scott. And I can remember being pretty intimidated by Scott. Uh, Rich told me about his, his brother, Scott, and he told me, he said, Scott is, is the smartest guy I know. And I thought, well, I'm pretty smart, and Rich knows me, so wow, Scott must be super smart. And so he's, <laughs> I was kind of intimidated. I really was kind of intimidated by him because I'd heard how, how brilliant he was. And I, the first couple times I was around him, I, I just kind of watched him interact with the other senior pastors and was, was really impressed by not just how smart he was, but his pastoral heart. And then a few years later, when I was ordained, he was at my ordination council and he asked me some questions as part of that ordination council. And and yeah, they were smart questions, smart guy, but they were also just very kind pastoral questions. You could tell Scott loves the people of God. And then after my ordination council, I was I was really impressed because I, I knew Scott was a busy guy, but he kept on. Uh, contacting me every time we'd see each other, he kind of knew he'd remembered what I had told him from last time, and he was aware of what was going on in my ministry. And then whenever we planted the church, whenever we planted Bethany Community, I would, I would see him about every four months or so, and he knew what we were talking about. He knew what was going on at Bethany, and he knew things I was preaching on. He had listened to at least a couple of my messages, and I was just I was just very humbled by that. And every time I I emailed him, he'd email me back with a, just. Just deep, well-thought-out responses. Just very encouraging. And, and I'm not the only person he does that with. I know there are other, other people that he cares for a great deal. And uh, I've had the pleasure now of the last year or so being able to meet with him and some other local pastors about once a month and just a great joy. And I, I've asked myself, what, what makes Scott like that? What gives him the ability to, to reach out, to be pastoral, to be kind? And, and I think the answer is, first of all, he, he just loves God. He loves God. And I didn't, I didn't say this all to you before he came, because I didn't want you to say nice things to him and give him a big head and things like that, but so you know now, he, he loves God. And what's more, he loves God's people, not just the people that he worships with at, at East White Oak, but he loves his brothers and sisters in Christ who are all engaged in worship of the triune God. Now that's far different, that example of Scott, is, is far different than what we see here in Jude. Look at the text with me if you would. And, and notice what we see here in the book of Jude. There, there's a problem. There are these false teachers who represent a, a threat to the faith. As you go through the beginning of, of the book of Jude, you see that Jude says, look, I was going to write to you about one thing, now I, I see the, the necessity to write to you, appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he goes on and he describes these false teachers who have infiltrated the church and are, are a danger to themselves and are a danger to the unity of the church and a danger to the proclamation of the true gospel. These are, these are greedy people, they are immoral people. And they are a threat. They're a danger. And so you come down into verse 17, and and Jude says, Look, this is this is nothing nothing surprising. This is what we were told would take place. This is what the apostles predicted. And then verse 18, look at this. It says, They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So these these false teachers over here are scoffers. They don't take Worship of God, seriously, they, they mock spiritual things. In fact, earlier in the epistles, he says they, they take the God's grace, God's, God's graciousness, and they turn it into licentiousness, into lawlessness. So they're, they're scoffers. They don't take worship of God seriously. They don't hold him as holy. And then he also says it's, they're following their own ungodly passions, so they're pursuing actions that are, are ungodly. They're, they're acting in an ungodly way these false teachers, and then this is very interesting, verse 19, it's these, these false teachers, it's these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Jude is saying, you're going to notice in the church two groups of people, And as we'll go through, we'll see that one group of people is is focused on worship of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and focused on being devoted to Him and and His glory and growing in holiness, growing in devotion to Him. And the other group is devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit of God residing within them. And this group is concerned about following their own lusts and passions. And it's, it's this group that causes division. Jude says, look, when you you see division in the church, the reality is that ultimately division is is caused by those who are not pursuing worship of God, but instead are pursuing worship of self. Now, what I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, and this is is something that I I think it's helpful for us to take a week and, and just think about, what I would suggest to you is that very often you and I, don't understand the nature of true biblical unity. Like, I've never met someone who's, who's, a, who's a Christian who says, you know, Daniel, what I'm, what I'm really praying for is uh, for disunity. I, I just really hope that uh, the church can tear apart in about eight different ways. That's, no one's ever said that to me, and yet sometimes we, we function in that way. We don't understand the nature of true biblical unity, and we don't understand the nature of true biblical division. Now, here's here's what Jude is saying. There are are two groups in the church. There are those who are devoid of the Spirit, who are not focused on worship of the triune God, and there are those who are focused on worship of God and are unified in that worship. Now, the problem that we have, first of all, is sometimes we're, we're united on the wrong things. Okay? And sometimes we're, the other problem is, we're divided on the wrong things. So we have, we have a group of people who are, all, who are all believers, who all are worshiping God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They've placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, and they're, they're finding divisions within themselves. Maybe divisions over, over politics, or divisions over parenting philosophies, or division o- over medical choices that a person makes about this type of doctor, or that type of doctor, are divisions over um, how, they, um, how they handle their, their finances. They're, they're, they're finding division, and they don't have the unity that God calls them to have. And similarly, sometimes we see people united with people that they shouldn't be divided, uh, you, they shouldn't be united with because they're people who don't worship the triune God. They're not that they're not can't be friends with them but they're united in worship whenever they're not worshiping the same god the presence of discord the presence of division should cause you and it should cause me great sorrow when we encounter division and discord within the church when we encounter discord and division between our church and other churches that should trouble us deeply received a sweet note uh, this past week from someone who, who said, you know, they were really encouraged by Scott's message. I heard that from multiple people. But this person said, you know, I was, I was encouraged uh, because it helped me see the, the unity of Christ's church. They said they've kind of grown up seeing divisions in the church and thinking that their church was the only church. And uh, this, the saint wrote, my, my soul is devoted to him and not to a denomination. So she said there's this, this beauty of, of relationships that exists between Christians, and she said she just really enjoyed seeing Scott and hearing about uh, pastors meeting together and just how her soul was encouraged by our prayers for other churches every Sunday morning. Brothers and sisters, that's what we should desire. Division is bad. Jude recognizes that. These false teachers are a danger because they, they, they damage the clarity of the gospel And they they sow division as they pursue self-worship. So if division is bad, disunity is bad, what's the answer? What's the answer to disunity? Is it just to be nice to everyone? Is it to just make promises, not to say bad things about anyone ever? How do we achieve true biblical unity with people who quite frankly can drive us crazy sometimes how do we do that here's what jude tells us here's the main idea that i want us to see this, together this morning keeping yourself in the love of god unites christ's church and protects us from the danger of division as jude talks about divisiveness and how these these false teachers are those who cause division he says look you need, the response to that is, you need to keep yourself in the love of God. The way that you and I are going to be united rightly with other believers is we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. Keeping yourself in the love of God unites Christ church, and it protects us from the danger of division, the dangers of divisiveness. So what I want to do, I want, I want to look at that main instruction first that we encounter in verse 21, the first command, and then we're going to look at the ways that we are obedient to the, the command, kind of those other uh, verbs that are in these two verses. So first of all, here's the command, keep yourself in the love of God. That's in verse 21, you are, keep, you are to keep yourself in the love of God. Now, if you were studying this epistle and you read through it several times, you might come to verse 21 eventually and say, well, hold on, that, that, seems, that seems a little off. So here's what I mean. Look at the beginning of the epistle. Look at how Jude begins his letter. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for, kept by Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does that mean? As Jude begins his, his epistle, he says, it's, it's God who keeps us. Or Jesus Christ specifically, who's who's keeping us? God is the one who keeps us. And then he goes through and he describes all these false teachers and the danger and the danger that awaits them. And then you come to the end of the epistle, and if you're reading all these things about the things that are going to happen to the false teachers, you're kind of freaking out a little bit that these things sound these things sound terrible. Your your heart's racing a little bit. How do I how do I know I'm going to be safe from these guys? Well, you come to the end in verse 23. Tells I'm sorry, verse. 24 tells us now, that that great doxology at the end, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. So who keeps us? Who's keeping us? It's God. He's the one who's able to keep us from stumbling. He's the one who's able and will keep us from falling into heresy, into apostasy, into immorality. So you begin the letter, you end the letter with God's sustaining, keeping us, right? God's sovereign power keeping us. It's what we see in Romans 8 as well. You come to Romans 8 and it talks about how God is the one who predestined us, he called us, he justified us. It's, It's the ones he justified, he also glorified. And so we can come to uh, the end of chapter eight of Romans eight. I'm not, and we can say this: I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, how can we be confident that we won't be separated from the love of God? Well, because it's it's God who called us, God who chose us, God who is eventually going to glorify us. So, if the letter begins and ends with this idea that it's God who's keeping us, why is there this instruction for us to keep ourselves in the love of God? Any ideas? It'd be really helpful because I'm not totally sure. No. Here's, here's what's going on here. What Jude is doing is he's de- just describing a response by believers. After God has worked within them, a real response that is required by those who have had their hearts change. And so those of us who have been transformed by God, by God's grace, are going to have this type of response. We are going to pursue obedience to this command to keep ourselves in the love of God, even as we have confidence that it's God who called us, God who's going to sustain us, and God who's going to keep us in his love. It's like Jesus said in John 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is where we find our unity, brothers and sisters. We find our unity abiding in the love of God the Father through the empowering work of the triune God. And so often we are tempted to find our our unity in our, our hobbies and our affinities, you're kind of the same age as me, and so I, I, I kind of identify with you, and I find unity with you, and those, those people that are a little older, those guys don't know what's going on, so I don't, I don't have the same unity with, you, with them that I do with you, or they're younger than me, what do they know, and so I don't have the same unity with them as I do with you, or, or those people, their politics are just wacky, and so I have greater unity with you because we think the same way, or we're from the same socioeconomic background, we have the same hobbies, and it's easy sometimes to mistake affinity for unity. Easier things to talk about. I was just in the in the hallway, and and uh, someone who was coming out of Five Points, uh, not not a part of our church, but saw me wearing a, a Garmin running watch. He said, "Hey, that's a that's a Garmin," and all of a sudden we're talking about, all of a sudden we're talking about running. Right now, if that's the person that I have the most unity with this morning, on a Sunday morning when I when I've come to worship the Triune God, there's a problem. Right. Our unity isn't found in our affinities. Our unity, Jude is telling us, is found in our worship of the triune God. It's found in keeping ourselves in love of God. Our disunity isn't found in disagreement. In other words, we don't say, well, I can't be unified with you because you have a different opinion on on." vaccinations, or you have a different opinion on where to send your kid, or you have it uh, to school, or you have a, a different opinion on the, the the right way to, to uh, I don't know, kick a soccer ball, whatever it is, right? The good news for the Christians is that unity is much deeper, more profound. First John 4, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so we've come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we, we know that we're in God as we have this 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 desire to love one another and to be truly unified, and that unity begins as we're obedient to this command to keep ourselves in the love of God, to keep ourselves in the love of the triune God without Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this type of love that God calls us to abide in is impossible. We see this throughout the passage. So, if you want unity with other Christians, true unity, not not affinity, not we all kind of have the same hobbies, not we all like the same type of building or music or whatever. If we want true unity, what we need to do is to abide deeply in the love of God, to keep ourselves in the love of God the Father. And you say, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? And Jude gives us three instructions here that help us obey this, this, this big imperative to keep ourselves in the love of God. And here's the first one. How do I keep myself in the love of God? Three things. Number one, this. To do this, I'm building, we are building ourselves up in the faith. He begins here in verse 20, but you, beloved, so contrast with, with those who are these, these false teachers, so now he's turning his attention to the believers, but, but you, beloved, you're, you're building yourselves up in your most holy faith. For to keep ourselves in love of God by his grace and experience unity, we need to be built up in our faith. Now, when we encounter building and growth in Scripture, there's, there's something very important to notice. We never encounter believers growing in isolation. Every time we encounter the growth and, and building taking place in Scripture, we, we see it happening in the context of a community. So, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, We're, we're God's fellow workers, you're God's field, God's building. Okay? And when he says you, that's not an individual you. That's you, the church. In other words, God isn't just saying, hey, you know what? You personally are building a building. That would be a really weird-looking building, right? To only have one, one piece. He says, You are you all, y'all, are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there's an assumption that those who are believers, those who have been transformed by God's grace and have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, there's an assumption that after that takes place, growth is occurring. And this growth, this, this being built up, doesn't happen individually. It can't. If you were to ask me, Daniel, how's your spiritual life going? I'd say, you know what? Right now, it's, 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 going, it's going well. I've just, I've just pulled away from all the people in my life, and now it's just me and God, and the growth is tremendous. You'd look at me and say, hmm, uh, that's, that's not how Scripture describes growth. I mean, there are absolutely things that happen to us individually that God uses, and we go through but. True biblical growth in terms of overall Christian life is not meant to be done in isolation. Or if you say, Daniel, how is, how, is your, how is your Christian life growing? I mean, I am growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, I've got feuds with about four different churches right now, but, but man, I am growing. You know? If my life is marked by divisiveness, that's not how God describes growth. Colossians 2.7, you're rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as, as y'all were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The book of Acts, it says the church, it grows throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. It had peace. It was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It, it multiplied. First Peter describes this and describes God's work in this. You yourselves are like living stones being built up, to a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And God uses his word as the the material that we use to grow. Paul, as he's getting ready to leave the elders of, of Ephesus, he has confidence. He has confidence that they're going to be strong. He says this, to them, he says, I I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How do I keep myself in the love of God? Well, first of all, it involves being built up in the faith. I'm using God's word. I also want you to notice this in terms of of being built up in the faith. Here's Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And as you look at Ephesians 2 and the idea of building, notice how all members of the Trinity are involved in this building up. Ephesians two eighteen says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So through Jesus, both the Jew and the Gentile have access in one spirit to the, to the Father. So there's God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the, the, whole found, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You need to look at that passage later and just see all the ways that the, the Trinity, the triune God is working to, to build us up. Apart from true worship, apart from the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, at work in our lives, we don't have hope for the unity that God desires us to have. I told you, sometimes we are, we're dividing over the wrong things. In other words, we're taking other people who are also worshiping a triune God, the triune God, and we're dividing with him. But also I would say this, sometimes we're uniting with those who aren't devoted to worship of the triune God through faith in God the Son, alone for salvation. In fact, a few years ago, there was a situation where a, a prominent pastor who preaches and teaches orthodoxy and very helpful in many ways in, in my spiritual growth at times, but this pastor held a, a conference and, and invited a person who had a, a different understanding of, of who God was to this conference, and it was a, a person who had a, a, a heretical understanding of the Trinity. They, instead of saying God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they said, well, God's kind of manifested himself in different, different ways throughout history, sometimes as the Father, sometimes as the Son, sometimes as the Spirit, which, as we've talked about before, is a, a very uh, harmful way to understand the biblical teaching. Remember, we, we talked about how the scriptural teaching is that there's one God. This is from Wayne Grudem. His, his good definition of this as he looks at the, the biblical teaching of the Trinity. There's one God who eternally exists as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God. Okay. So one God who eternally exists as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God. So anyway, this, this teacher that this other pastor invited to his conference didn't have that understanding of, of who God is, and, and other Christians said, Boy, what, are you, what are you doing? You can't invite this guy. And they encouraged him to, to repent of that, to, to turn away from inviting this. Why would they do that if we, if we want unity? Because our unity has to be based upon our common faith. We're building ourselves up according to God's word with his deep unity as we have a shared worship of the triune God. How do I keep myself in the love of God? I'm being built up in the faith with other believers through the word of God, through the Spirit working through his word. Number two, another way I keep this command is I'm I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. I keep myself in the love of God, first by building, now through praying. And this is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit. And remember, Doug, as he was praying this morning, what did Doug pray? He prayed a prayer talking about the the spiritual dangers that those that we love are in, that this is not just a struggle against flesh and blood. And that's what we see here as well. If I'm going to keep myself in the love of God, I have to pray in the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? First of all, it means that I'm aware that this is a, a spiritual struggle that I'm in, that it's not just a, a physical world. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 10 Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And what he's saying there is we recognize there's a spiritual struggle. And here is what worship of of the true God looks like. And we recognize that there are are spiritual forces at work that want to destroy that perception of who God is. And so in, in our lives, in the lives of our friends... In the lives of our friends at school and our, our co-workers and the lives of our family members, the enemy wants to destroy a right understanding of who God is. And that is a, a spiritual struggle. The enemy wants to destroy our ability to live in a, a way that's in accordance with the knowledge we have about who God is. And so what do we do? We have to recognize that this is a spiritual struggle. To keep ourselves in the love of God is not a, it's not a physical struggle. There's not some place on the stage that I need to stand just right and say, okay, I'm in the love of God. I'm in the love of Oh, I'm out. I'm out. Hold on. I'm in the love of God. That's not how this works. This is a spiritual battle, a spiritual struggle to keep ourselves in the love of God, to, to remain in fellowship with him. And so what do I need to do? I need to beseech the Holy Spirit to work in my life and the life of others to protect us and allow us to stay in the love of God. I'm, I'm praying in the Spirit. Ephesians 6 tells us this as well. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so what do we do? We, we pray Spirit-fueled prayers. Romans 8 You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And later in Romans 8, Paul writes, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the, the saints according to the will of God. So in other words, I want to keep myself in love of God. And I want, I want to have unity with my, with my physical children. I, I want my, my children to, to be in relationship with God. I want my, my spiritual children to be in relationship with God. I want them to keep themselves in love of God. And, and I don't always know how to pray for them in that. I want my brothers and sisters, my spiritual brothers and sisters, to be in the love of God. And I don't know always how to pray for them rightly in that. And if it was just left to me to pray for others... I would not be successful. But because I worship a triune God, I cry out to the Spirit. I say, you know I allow the Spirit to pray through me. I say, okay, I, I, I don't know how to pray for this child that I love, and yet I, I pray, God, that you would work in their life, that you would bring them to yourself. Here are the biblical things you've told me to pray, and so I, I want to pray in accordance with what your Spirit has revealed in your Word and your Spirit confirms to me. That's how I'm praying. I want them, I'm praying for this for them so they will keep themselves in love of God. I'm beseeching you to intercede in, in ways that I can't because I cannot change a spiritual heart. Praying in the Spirit here means that I am praying in accordance with what the Spirit desires which He lets me know through His Word and through His indwelling presence. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This affects how I pray, right? As I pray As I pray for my children, I pray in the Spirit. As I pray for the sick, I I don't just pray physical prayers for them, right? This affects how I pray in very profound ways. As I pray for a person who's, who's sick or who's, who's suffering, I, I pray for them. I say, okay, Father, I, I do pray for their physical healing. I pray that you would physically heal them so that they would have the ability to continue to glorify you and proclaim your glories. I, I pray for that absolutely, and I pray for your, your peace, your physical peace upon their life. But, Father, here are some other things I pray for them. I pray that the person who is sick, I pray this in the Spirit, I pray because it's according to the will of God, I pray that this person who is sick right now would have a greater understanding of the riches of the inheritance of the saints through faith in your Son, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would protect this person who is suffering from bitterness, the bitterness that could, could choke out their ability to respond in a God-glorifying way. Father, in the Spirit, I'm praying that I'm praying that their family members would be protected from bitterness. I pray that you'd protect them as they they grieve and as they they hurt, that you'd protect them from from the enemy and from wrong thinking about who you are and about your glory and about their purpose in life. I'm praying those things. Why? Why? Because I want them to be kept in the love of God the Father. And I cannot do that apart from the Spirit working his work through through the, the prayers of his saints to do the spiritual work that only he can do. And that's where true unity can be preserved and protected. I'm praying for marriages, and I'm not praying just that they, they have a happy marriage and, and never have any sorts of, of uh, hard times in their life physically, but I'm, I'm praying that the marriages in, in our church, and my marriage, would continue to be a, a marriage in which the love of God is, is manifested, and both parties are keeping themselves in the love of God so that they can be a, a powerful testimony to the people who need to see what Christ's love for his church looks like. We need to pray in the spirit and the last thing we see here how else do I keep myself in the love of God I, I wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ so we're building yourselves up in the faith you're to be praying in the Holy Spirit and you're to be waiting for the mercy of Jesus Christ he writes keep yourselves in love of God waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life now what does this mean It means that those who are going to keep themselves in love of God are aware that there's a coming day of judgment. You see, the scoffer is not thinking about the day of judgment. The false teacher is not thinking about the day of judgment. The false teacher is thinking about the pursuit of their own pleasures and self-worship. That's what the false teacher is thinking about. The person who's being kept in love of God is aware that there is a day of future judgment, a judgment that they deserve to experience. Zephaniah 3.8 says, Wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. And so for those who have decided to to turn from worship of the living God and to pursue their own worship, there's a coming day of judgment. And the person who's kept in the love of God recognizes that, and they also recognize that some people are going to experience mercy instead of judgment because someone else has merited that mercy for them. Titus 3 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what that means is that those who are a part of of God's people live in anticipation of a day of future mercy. You want to keep yourself in the love of God, you need to be a person who is waiting for the coming mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. A person who lives in constant awareness. I am a person who is going to receive mercy that I did not merit. And that changes the way, as we think about that future, that changes the way that we live In the present, talks about in in Scripture, in Luke chapter 2, two older saints, uh, Simeon and Anna, both both of whom are said to be waiting for the consolation of Israel and for the redemption of Jerusalem. Joseph of Arimathea is described as a man who was looking, waiting for the kingdom of God. Do you yearn for unity within Christ's church? Do you desperately desire to be united with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ at at Bethany Community Church? Do you take joy in in contemplating the the glory of God manifest not just at Bethany, but at, at East White Oak and at Bethany Baptist and Living Hope and Grace Church in Morton and and I could I better stop or I'm going to leave someone out. Just all these are people I've texted with this morning. Um, I left my wallet at one of these churches as I'm trying to find it. Um, that's true. <laughs> Glad we have unity. Hopefully, I don't steal my stuff. Um, how do we pursue this unity? You know. How do, we, do do we yearn for unity of relationship with brothers and sisters from from Christ's body, and how do we how do we pursue that? How do we protect against the division that would shipwreck the proclamation of the gospel? We keep ourselves in the love of God. How do we begin in the love of God? Well, it's, it's all of God. God calls us from eternity. He, chooses us from eternity past. He calls us at a moment in time according to his predestined plan. We place our faith by God's grace in his son Jesus Christ alone for salvation apart from any works that we do. We Make that very clear. We come into relationship with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, by God's grace alone. But then as we find ourselves there, transformed by the gospel, we respond by keeping ourselves in the love of God. But even as we keep ourselves in love of God or strive to do so, it is the triune God at work that allows us to do so. Meaning all the praise and glory for him. Unity in Christ's church glorifies the matchless name of our triune God. And for all the saints, it should be something we earnestly yearn for and strive toward. Let's pray. Father, we do beseech you and trust in you. We trust in the work of your Son, Jesus. We trust in the work of the Spirit within our lives to change and grow us. We trust in your sovereign, holy work of grace in our lives. And we pray that we would bring glory and honor to your name